Welcome to Global Supply Chain Week. This is What the Truck. I'm Dooner, and that's the dude. Hey, good Monday afternoon to everybody. Valentine's Day, day after the Super Bowl, blah, Super Bowl, blah, blah. Uh, Super Bowl reminded me a little bit of a Marvel movie. Like, it is was right? exciting. It hit all the notes, right? But then at the end, it just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a dud. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, running out the clock's not cool. I'd rather seen, even if Cincinnati had to lose, just, you know, make the first down, maybe bounce one off the crossbar from 57 yards out uh, and lose that way or something. Or well, win it, whatever. But, the big yeah. trend I noticed, though, and I think everyone else did, was if you're into EVs, you're into the EV space. I know oh, we're yeah. really talking a lot about the future of supply chain, but... The future is now, especially if you saw the advertisements and the money being poured into the EV space during that. Also, some crazy crypto ads. One of them that really caught my attention, I think it caught most everyone else's, was that yeah. QR code that was just uh, bouncing all over the screen. Yeah, I did not scan it. I was I was scared it would drain my bank accounts or something like that. I might lose all my Ripple. Hey, Valentine's Day, <laughs> $23.9 billion, right, is spent. That's a lot of freight. That's a lot of flowers. That's a lot of it's a ton. perishable air freight. That's a lot of chocolates and reefers, right? Yeah. Third priciest holiday on the calendar for consumers. You may not have known that. In fact, 36%, right? They expect their Valentine to to spend at least $50 on a gift, according to Wallet Hub's 2022 Valentine's Day survey. Wow. 50 bucks. 50 bucks. How much okay. do you spend on, on your wife? Um, untold amounts. It, it's priceless. Untold amounts. Well, men spend double that they women do. do. But of do you know what the do. least desired gift for women was in this survey? Um. A nine iron. Tools. 24% tools. was tools, a gym membership, sporting equipment, kitchen appliances, uh, cheesy stuffed animals, mixtape. Know what number one <laughs> was, mixed though? A mixtape. A mixtape. What is it, 1983? No, know what number one was, though? The number one least A favorite? sonar account. You know why? Because sonar has all this maritime ocean data in it. Now, tell me a little bit about what we're looking at here. Show us this first sonar Oh, chart. that was the number one that they wanted. Yeah, yeah. of course they do, because everybody's interested in supply chain now. It's the new buzzword, right? It's cool, yeah. and it's awesome. What you are looking at here are in Bound ocean TEUs uh, seven days out in the blue, and the projection seven days out in the in the uh, in the white dotted line there on the bottom in the yellow or orange I'm sorry are shipments. So TEUs are not necessarily shipments, right? Those are the volumes on the top, and then you've got the number of shipments or transactions on the bottom, and you see that the shipment size would be uh, theoretically becoming smaller and smaller. Right? You know, that's as a, that... these things diverge. That's correlating on what we've seen. So there's been a 77% reduction of the number of containers with mm -hmm. a nine-plus stage well tam since the end of October at uh, the Port of uh, Los Angeles and Long Beach. There's also been a 56% reduction just this month alone. Yeah, right. That, and that's going down. Number continues. Shipping, so shipments at, or ships at birth is going down too, right? Yeah, down to 78, actually, as of Friday, down from 109. That's another 28% drop. Yeah. Show me this other chart you got here. Okay, so let's look at us? the next one here. So this is just some of the other stuff in, in Sonar. When we look at this on the left-hand side, you're looking at that same one, the inbound TEUs volumes, and then that in the green is translating into the short volume or city volume moves on truckload out of Los Angeles, so coming out of that port. And then on the right-hand side, you see how that affects Ontario, the Inland Empire. As those TEUs grow, short grows, 
and then following that, short into Ontario, and then your long haul starts coming out of those warehouses. You can see this in a chart I didn't put up here as well. When you see warehouse utilization in Ontario, you can predict it by those TEUs and shipments coming through LAX, and you can see that seven days out. And even further back, if you have sonar and you got some of the apps, like our ocean shipment uh, 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 dashboard that is in the apps uh, place. You know, Michael Vincent, what's going on right now is a lot of people are negotiating their long-term contract yes, rates. It is that time of year. Well, some interesting stats for you here. There's a great article on FreightWaves.com from Greg Miller. He spoke with Zanetta, and it was talking about the giant spread and the giant raise that they have seen in contract rates this year. In fact, this is from Patrick Berglund over at Zanetta. He said, for 2022, we are seeing $7,000 to $8,000 as an early indicator for what people wow. are paying on contract rates. And his concern, the whole point of that article, is to be mindful of the fact that this can create that long-term inflation, right? These contract oh, yeah, absolutely. rates can push out these spot rates in the long-term market. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. If you bring up this next chart here, you can see just how ridiculous 7,000 to 8,000 is. Now, that's not 17 or 16, which you're seeing in the blue and the green there, which is China to west and east coast. Sorry, east coast is in the blue, west is in the, in the green. That's 40-foot equivalent uh, uh, charges there. But you're looking at halfway up that scale, which is, you know, you're still talking triple what you, we were pre-pandemic. Yeah. is where it seems like it may settle if these contract rates are there, right? And now these are spots. These are not the highest contract rates, right? Well, the theme here at Global Supply Chain Week, and the one that a lot of people called out at the end of last year, is it's going to be resiliency. And I think yeah. that that's going to be the theme here. Um, we want to thank our live stream partner. It is Pay Cargo, as well as our universal sponsor, Ryder, and our content sponsor, Talent Logistics. Before we get to our first guest, too, we have to give something away. Oh, Told cool. you, if you register at live.freightwaves.com, you'll be entered into all of the different prizes that we're giving away throughout the day on What the Truck. We have an Apple TV 4K. So, Oh, sweet. What do you think the winner's going to be? Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> you want me do to just cowbell guess? roll, please. I think all right, it's first and one. the winner is none other than John Barton. He's the director of global logistics over at Dick's Sporting Goods. John, download that FreightWaves TV app. Download this show. Watch it in HD. You can watch all of our events, all of uh, our live what the trucks. I was, now, I was, I was about to guess that. I was about to guess that. Let's bring up Jack Echeverry. He's the senior manager of global logistics over at Wayfair. And I got to imagine he's been busy over the past two years. Jack, thank you for joining us on the show today. Oh, oh he's on mute. Let's unmute him right now. Got you, Jack. There we go. We got you, Jack. Yep. There oh, here we go. Yeah, you sound right. great, Jack. You sound Beautiful. great. How's this Monday treating you? Did you like the results of the Super Bowl last night? Uh, so I'm in Buffalo, so I'm a Bills fan. So, you know, I, I do like Joe Burrow, but Josh Allen has to be the uh, first quarterback from the AFC to win it. And coming quarterback. So, you know, I'll Josh Allen. So sorry, Joe, but the Bills are going to be the ones that take it. Well, you can learn. I mean, hey, look, <laughs> you right. can learn a lot right. from football, but I understand that you have learned a lot from lacrosse as well. You, uh, you've, you're a lacrosse coach. Tell me something. What can... What crosses over from lacrosse to logistics? What can someone take from learning on the lacrosse field that they can bring into this wild world that we work in? Yeah, I would say patience and working as a team. Um, so everyone kind of sees, especially in field lacrosse, you have 10 people on a team. They're running around uh, with a metal stick hitting each other. Um, but it's a very fluid game. Uh, you have to work as a team. You have an offense and defensive zone, kind of like sales and operations. And you have to work together for the same objective of winning. So I would say those are the two attributes I would uh, relate to each other. 
Yeah, I, you know, supply chain in my past, I would liken it to someone chasing me around, beating me with a metal, metal stick, stick at times. <laughs> that that is that is happening. So let's let's talk about that. You know, playing as a team, et cetera, and supply chains. You know, what about supply chain as a competitive advantage? Right. In the past two years, obviously, a company like yours isn't making strides to adopt and results can yeah. be catastrophic if you don't. Like we said, if your supply chain is the same now as it was before, you're done. Right. Let's talk about that. Exactly. What do you need to do? How have you guys survived? Yeah, I would say the pandemic, it really accelerated people to think outside the box. And Wayfair was fortunate enough to already be thinking about this years ago. And we just rebranded our international side to Cascade Forwarding, uh, which I'm part of. Uh, it's a rapidly growing full service logistics company uh-huh. with a global presence in North America, the EU, uh, UK, uh, Asia. So our goal is to produce cost-efficient, perfect orders at scale through equipping our customers with the services and tools they need to ship any items in the most efficient manner. So we, our goal is to have holistic service offerings. Uh, we have carbon offsets, cargo insurance, and in-house brokerage just to help the customer get end-to-end management, fastest delivery to the customer. And with e-commerce, I would say being a big role that anyone initiated, there's got to be visibility for our suppliers and they have to have comfort knowing that we are the professionals and we're going to drive down costs while offering a far superior product. Ton of SKUs, Wayfair, ton of SKUs, yeah. ton of big SKUs, ton of big and bulky SKUs. You ordered a yeah. couch in the past two years. You know some of the challenge. We've ordered any yes. appliances or anything like that. But it all starts with suppliers, right, especially when you have that many exactly. SKUs. What role have suppliers played in your success in keeping Wayfair functioning and, and your division uh, ahead? Yeah, it's you have to have a good relationship. You have to have that partnership. Um, I think the last two years have provided or it's shown that if you don't have a solid line of communication that you're not in sync with each other, it could be very catastrophic. And that's what made it that's what made it easier for us to kind of scale out the growth that we've seen is we have a very good sales team. We have a very good account management team, especially on the international side where you've seen costs double, triple um, higher than anyone would have other ever uh, expected. So our sales team has been very good in communicating the struggles that we're seeing in, uh, throughout the globe. Um, so our suppliers could be prepared for any um, hiccups in the supply chain. Yeah, you need to keep that constant communication and transparency. So you guys play nice together, obviously, and keep that fine yeah. orchestration going. So let's talk about the, the carrier's role in what you guys are doing, right? Because you're kind of coordinating all this stuff together. You're almost like an intermediary in, in, in a brokerage type of thing, right? So how does that exactly. role play as well? Yeah, I mean, back to lacrosse, I think of myself as a midi where I have to transition from uh, one zone to the next, and you have to play both uh, sides of the field. So with the carriers, you know, once again, it's very, the market has dictated higher costs with inflation increasing and just the global supply chain still feeling some of the ramifications from the pandemic, uh, lack of labor at the ports and terminals, lack of labor at the warehouses, the uh, drivers um, kind of uh, maybe going into uh, different uh, areas of work that was a little bit more profitable when people saw the supply chain crumbling and uh, when COVID first hit. So you need to be a true partner with carriers. And that's what we really take pride in is having those open and honest conversations with our carriers, especially on the drainage side where it's not an easy job. These drivers are going into railheads, they're going into terminals where they could fit two to three hour or see two to three hour delays. Um, they're working their full 14 hours a day. I mean, they don't see their family a lot. So when our carriers are asking for solutions, um, when they're asking for maybe a little bit more money to uh, continue to 
get us the capacity we need to be successful, um, it's very beneficial. So we could, you know, once again, relay it to our sales team so they could relay it to our suppliers. So, you know, our main goal is to get the product into your fulfillment centers, your warehouses. So the end user, somebody like myself, somebody like you guys, when we do buy a futon, we buy a couch, it's in stock. We could get it there and our final mile team could deliver. So the carriers have, without the carriers within our carrier portfolio, we would not have seen the success we have seen on the international side. Mm-hmm. No, the big difference between you and a carrier, though, is that your average consumer, they don't know or care who J.B. Hunt is or who any of or who any of these these companies are. No, right, But they, they do care who you are when they book with you. And. You know, with 12 billion or over 12 billion in sales last year, that's a lot of orders. That's a lot of SKUs, and there were disruptions. How do you manage that customer expectation? Because that's so much on the supply chain, too. We've all gotten those proactive emails in the past year or two from companies saying, hey, you know what? Look, this stuff's going to arrive a little bit later. Yeah. And in furniture, they've been especially mindful. How have you kept the customer satisfied? Um- once again, communication, having trust in your partners. Um, I hear it at my own house. So we just bought a house this summer and we want, you know, we want our goods. Um, and my wife's asking me, why is this not showing up? Um, it's difficult. Or when you do get a, a good that you've been waiting for a few weeks to come in stock and you receive it and there is some damage. Um, it's our customer service that you, when we pick up the phone, if a customer picks up the phone and calls somebody on the Wayfair line or they speak to somebody on our uh, website, they get the best customer service at that level. Um, You know, our goal is not only to make sure the experience of that return is going to be uh, positive, that we're making sure that the customer that ordered the table or the futon, as I stated, that they get the best service, but we also get it there fast. And that's kind of where I come in. They don't know who Jack Echeverry is, but they're going to know who, uh, you know, Robert is. They're going to know who Mandy is uh, when they pick up the phone. And that interaction and making it right by the customer has made Wayfair successful. And it also provides confidence in our supplier that, you know, continue to use us, uh, you know, we could be successful and we're going to make it right. So the supplier doesn't really feel any um, of the negative feedback of the product showing up damaged. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next, the challenges of reverse logistics, because we heard that with a lot of people who switched from that brick and mortar touching and feeling these larger priced items, right? And as they buy those online, the return rate goes up exponentially versus yeah. just touching that stuff. But you guys have been doing this for years. How, how, have you seen an influx of that or occurrence of that with new customers kind of taking this experience rather than the brick and mortar route? I, I would say you're correct. Um, with e-commerce, you're always going to see a higher return rate uh, just because you can't touch and feel the product. Um, however, our price point and the efficiency that we do deliver on the international side does make it a lot more competitive. Uh, we are still looking at um, new ways and thinking outside the box how to partner with uh, our current carrier base, uh, partnering uh, with people that uh, maybe the route, the trucking uh, provider uh maybe could do a stop off to kind of reduce some costs. But we also have to make sure that it's economically beneficial for the driver because they only have so many hours in a day to work. So adding a stop off could end up not making them do that one extra turn. That truck needs to make a certain revenue per day. And we understand that, but we also want to, you know, make sure that we're driving down our costs. And that's what we're looking for is finding the right providers and more of a regional approach that we could, um, put in the reverse logistics. So that is something that we're trying to achieve, especially on uh, our side of the table. Now, are you sitting there with your fingers crossed, hoping that this is the year finally that that things unwind and go back to normal? Or or are you just thinking, look, it's another day, another week, another month in logistics and you got to take it. You got to take it for what it is. Yeah, I think anyone that does this, you're nuts and you got to enjoy it. So if you don't enjoy what you do, the last two years have been tough. Um, I think I've aged. I could have been my two kids. But I mean, I really think it's just been the uh, the 
environment that we're playing in. It's been very tough, uh, but we do have a really, you know, I keep stressing it, but partnerships, we have carriers that we have very honest and open conversation. Um, there's carriers that I talk, I talk to at, uh, tw- you know, eight o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, if there's an issue, I mean, they're, they're in it with us. The, the, the sweat and tears makes it fun for me. Um, being on a team, you know, external partners and internal partners, knowing that the main goal we want to do is provide the customer with the best experience. It's made it a lot it's made it a lot more tolerable, I should say. So, you know, I think I'm very fortunate to work at a company like Wayfair, especially within Cascade Forwarding. We have really good leadership. Uh, we're continuing to grow. We offer, um, you know, very attractive uh, incentives for to get the best, inten- you know, the best talent possible. Um, so it's been tough. Um, but, you know, if I didn't enjoy it, if I didn't work with, you know, the best team, in my opinion, um, out in logistics, it, I wouldn't be here today. Well, Jack, before we let you go, we have a we have one Valentine's Day themed trivia question for you here. And uh, aside from waiting for uh, some furniture from Wayfair to arrive so you and a loved one can unbox it and put it in your living room. What, according to Wallet Hub, what is the um, an American's ideal post pandemic first date? What do you think was number one? Ooh. I would say going to the bar, maybe having a few drinks. Oh, going to a bar, go simple man, simple man. It's it's dinner and a movie. Yeah. Pretty similar. Thirty eight percent. We'll give it to him. We'll wow. give it to him. <laughs> yeah, we'll give it to him. Dinner and a movie. Good enough. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. Spend a little time with us at Global Supply Chain Week. We appreciate it. No, thanks, guys. Love the show. Good luck. Right on. Thanks, Jack. Good stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing how they were able to keep up their their service and continue to do so, right? But those are the experts. They've been doing this before it was cool to shop on e-commerce. Well, that's why I thought he'd be such a great uh, lead-off guest. Oh, yeah, too. we've all experienced buying during the pandemic. You sure. talk about touch and feel, and that's just one of those concepts you can put your hands around. One of the ones that's a little bit harder, though, right, is driver's mental health. So that's why we have a great guest to talk about. It's Emmanuel Carrillo. He's uh, the CEO over at Town Logistics, and he's here to spend a little time with us on this segment. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for spending some time with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Well, hey, you are over in Los Angeles. Did you go to SoFi yesterday? Did you go Ram Wild last night? Actually, I was with, at home with the wife and kids. I'm not <laughs> going to be paying those uh, ridiculous pricing. Uh <laughs> attending the, the stadium. So. Was, I, yeah, container fees are, container prices are up a lot, but so are Super Bowl tickets, Michael Vincent. Oh, yeah, but they were very <laughs> high. I, I, I didn't even research. I was not planning on going out there. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? You sent this really interesting topic, and it was focusing on a driver's mental state of health in a people-centric organization. Really great. I can't wait to jump into it, but before we do, let's just give a little elevator pitch on you and what your team does over at Talon. Yeah, so um, we established uh, in 2007 by Keith Drake. I came in in 2013, um, pretty much started from the bottom, working as a dispatching compliance, wore multiple hats. And um, Keith kind of mentored me on how to run a successful business. So um, when we took over, what we do, we kind of focus on ocean and remote container and storage. And uh, we have some pretty uh, awesome customers, dedicated customers, um, that has been supportive of us since day one. Um, so yeah, so pretty much, uh, we haul, um, we, we are the first, uh, carrier to pull loads from the port for our customers like Starkiss, uh, Hummersug, and, uh, we do some rail work for Pepsi, uh, logistics as well. So we, uh, that's our, that's our main focus, pretty much intermodal and ocean container freight. Excellent. So as, as, as Dooner talked about, you know, focusing on driver's mental state in a people-centric organization, yeah. what does that look like to you, Emmanuel? What is that? 
Yeah. So for me, um, so I come from a family of truckers uh, on my wife's side and on, on my side. And, you know, it's always, you know, just the way I feel like in our industry, um, there's a lot of carriers that treat our other drivers good, but there's also those carriers that don't treat our drivers good. They do a lot of forced dispatching. You know, they, you know, if you it's my way or the highway type of scenario. Um, so for me, um, kind of like going with, you know, mental health, it's kind of treating our, our truck drivers, owner operators as a customer. You know, we have, we kind of focus on, you know, what their personal needs, what their financial needs are and, you know, just building that relationship from them. So, uh, we kind of go out there, you know, we have one-on-ones with our truckers every week, just kind of express their concerns of, you know, what we could do to kind of help them make their, you know, their work easy. Cause you, you think about it, they spend a lot of alone time in, in their trucks and they're away for family. So what can we do to kind of enhance their experience hauling for us? And, you know, it's, you know, number one, it's relationship. Number two is, you know, the money factor, you know, they're making their, you know, their, their money for the day. So, um, so that's what we kind of do kind of from a, from a, like a smaller scale with our drivers. It's kind of just kind of support them where we need them to be supported at, especially if they're waiting at the ports hours at a time, or, you know, as you can see ports of Long Beach in LA, um, it's, it could be pretty congested at times. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel. Uh, sure. You know, we talk to drivers all the time on the, on this show, on sure. social media, uh, in real life. And, you know, drivers are are, are complex, right? Uh, un, un, uh, some people may not believe that, but drivers can be very complex, and there's a whole host of issues. Some of them are just the industry-wide ones that they always have in their surveys, which are, you know, the parking issues or clarity of pay and all Detention. of those kind of things. Sure. Yeah. And then there's the issues that are just going on in society, a very charged sure. society, whether it be convoys or political issues. Both are very you, – you need to have your finger on the pulse of both. How do you approach sensitive subjects like that, be it, be it convoys? or these driver issues um just hearing them out listening to our drivers um that's that's the most important thing it's it's um so you know when we go into conversation with one driver or a group of drivers it's mainly just listening to them make sure we listen and you know we just kind of everyone has their own you know political decision on how to on the way they think of you know in society today so we just have to be supportive of their decisions and and the way they view things and, you know, just how they support us as a company, you know, everyone has their own views. So it's pretty much listening and supporting them. And that's how we kind of, and, you know, if they, you know, for example, a lot of our drivers um, here, it kind of, yeah, it just pretty much supporting, supporting and listening to them. Yeah. So uh, Emmanuel, I noticed you've got a a guitar hanging on the wall there uh, over your (laughs) left hand shoulder. Uh, Is that your guitar? That's my guitar, yes. Okay, great. So you have the sensitivity of, of being a musician, right? And you have that outlet, right? There's kind of that therapeutic outlet that happens there. How do you make sure those drivers are heard there in your organization? What do you guys do there to make sure those drivers are actually heard and, and getting those sensitive? Because they can build out. And when they build up, then you start getting punk rock coming out and, you, <laughs> and, and that type of stuff, right? And we, we don't need any of that, right? No, we don't need any of that. Yeah, so... Like I said, it's relationship. Um, we meet with our drivers once a week. And, you know, it's not just when we meet with them. We, You know, it's a little small stuff we do. We pass out lunches every once a week, and we have those one-on-ones. But mm. even after the fact, you know, when we send dispatches to them, we just don't send them the load. We have a whole conversation of 
with them. You know, our dispatch team, ops team, you know, you know, we're sending memes to each other, you know, uh, from the driver to the office. It's not just here's the work, get it done. It's more like, hey, how's it going? Here's here's the, you know, the work for the day. But, you know, and then we kind of just, you know, send memes to each other. Like, oh, like, for example, the Rams game, um, the, the Super Bowl game yesterday, you know, sending memes, you know, of, of the halftime show. You could see all the memes that, that occurred um, after the Super Bowl yesterday. So kind of just, you know, just kind of ha- just having a conversation with them and just being friends with them, and just being kind. Um, yeah. I think that's that's the number one thing. Um, drivers, you know, they, they I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people see drivers as a number and. And, you know, don't see them as an equal. And, you know, us, on the other hand, we see them as equal. Um, and, you know, and we see them as, as a human, you know, number one. Uh, that's like, the, you know, so we don't, we take, we take the number part out and we just put the human being in and kind of, you know, just kind of just treat them like as anyone else. Well, I'm going to shock some people here, but a lot of these fundamentals of dealing with remote drivers are, are similar ones that companies need to learn when dealing with remote workers. If you remember yeah. at the start of the pandemic, there are all these companies that free, like, what are we going to do now? Our, our people aren't in the building. If you've dealt with drivers, you've been dealing with remote workers as long as you've been dealing with drivers. But I got to tell you, what have you learned from dealing with drivers that our audience that's dealing with remote workers can apply? What do you think is one of the biggest lessons you've learned? Uh, biggest lessons is a lot of these uh, drivers feel undervalued. Um, and I feel like we assume that they're good, but just kind of just like having a conversation with them and just talking to them. We, we had to take the assumption out um, because, you know, you kind of, everyone goes through their own, their their own personal, you know, challenges and um, life. And, you know, just as a matter of just checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, you know, and, and I feel like, you know, when you're you're so busy, especially right now with this whole COVID and supply chain, we're so overwhelmed of work and busy and we're just have, trying to get the work done that we just forget to kind of just check in on people and say, hey, how are you doing today? You know, um, how you know, how's your weekend or, you know, how's how's your personal life going? And I feel like we kind of we forget that that portion of, you know, of, of our lives. Yeah, we do from time to time. We get those we get those blinders on, and it's it's really important to I like to say live with intentionality when you're looking at this type of stuff. Speaking, I mean, intentional living, et cetera. At Talent Logistics, you guys just went through a rebrand. Is that correct? Right. Yes. So, so t- um, tell us about uh, that. What's the motivation there, and what what was that? Yeah. So, like I said, um, I took over um, in 2020. It was owned by Keith Drake. He was, you know, he's my mentor and still is my mentor and friends until this day. And, um, you know, we kind of want to take talent to the next level, kind of, you know, focus on, you know, number one, it's, I always said, you know, customers, number one, but we also say drivers, number one, and, you know, everyone's number one here. Everyone's just as important and, you know, focusing on technology. So, you know, we partner up with core pros as far as part of our technology software TMS system. Um, so we kind of want to, you know, from there rebranding, we also opened up in Texas. So we're doing workout Texas and we're going to be opening up in Georgia this year and we're going to be opening up in Arizona. So um, I just feel like from being a family owned business and kind of just rebranding it, it's kind of, we, you know, it's me taking over kind of just, you know, just let them know that, you know, there's a different owner in, in town with talent. That's all. Well, good stuff, Emmanuel. Before we let you go, our Valentine's Day question for you from Wallet Hub is best city for Valentine's Day. What do you think Wallet Hub readers picked as the best city for Valentine's Day? These are U.S. cities, so I'll give you a hint there. Only U.S. Oh, okay. Uh, best cities. 
I'll say Los Angeles. That's close I, I enough. It was California. San Francisco. It was San Francisco. Actually, the top five are San Francisco, Seattle, Honolulu, Orlando, and San Diego. A lot of West, a lot of West Coast over there. Can't believe Chattanooga's not on there. Chattanooga's not on there. No, no romantic uh, gondolas down the Tennessee River, Michael Vincent. <laughs> not us today. No. I'm All right. Put- well, thank you, Emmanuel. Thanks for joining us on the show. Check yeah. out Talent Logistics. Good times. I'm gonna put my cyber truck on a catamaran and then Good times. do. Here, those drivers out. Yeah. All right. Let's talk to Greg Tuttle. Let's see CEO over at C2 Cube can. Containers. I think they touch a little reefer too, right? They're probably moving some uh, flowers around. Maybe we'll find out from them. Probably are. Yes, sir. Greg, thank you for joining us on Global Supply Chain Week today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Now, where are you hanging out right now? It looks it looks pretty sunny, just judging by the reflection in the room you're in. Yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in uh, Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, uh, and as you can tell, we're in the office. So uh, one of the few that maybe not be or not working remote so we're here in the office and happy to be here number six on the best cities for valentine's day right there <laughs> probably we only have one through five so it could be that but so you, you know you've spent a number of years at the steamships lines what's something that people uh, most people just don't know about carriers well i think the uh the biggest challenge is trying to explain how complicated it is to uh, operate and manage a network especially uh when we're faced with challenges as we are today um, it's, it's certainly very complicated and very sophisticated. And you're talking about a lot of assets that need to be managed uh, just to maintain um, schedule reliability as well as uh, a flow uh, and balance. So I think that would probably be the biggest area that people are unaware of. And uh, I think it, everyone takes it for granted. Um, one thing that uh, we, we are all aware of is this is now a national daily conversation about where's my container and when's the congestion going to end? And I think that uh, people used to just take it for granted that they walked into a store and they found what they needed and they picked it up. And uh, now I think uh, people are starting to realize uh, just how sophisticated and challenging it is to get product to uh, store shelves. Greg, what are we what's looking a little bit worse right now in 2022? Is it the, the dry finding a dry box or a reefer box? I think uh, I, I think it's both. And I say that only because the. Uh, the challenges in terms of the network uh, really tie into equipment repositioning. So re- equipment repositioning back to origin locations in the headhaul trades is probably the uh, the biggest challenge. I would say this, though, you know, we are focused, C-Cube is focused in the refrigerated trade. Uh, that's kind of our, our niche and our specialty. Uh, one thing for sure is that, you know, we really need to start to think about how technology can help with moving refrigerated commodities just because it's such a necessity to uh, to most regions. So I think that uh, as we continue to be uh, faced with congestion, prioritizing refrigerated commodities, you know, just to maintain a food flow and f- uh, food source uh, reliability supply chain network is going to probably be a little bit more uh, important as we go forward. It certainly is, and 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 predicting what is going on to maintain that is is really really important, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can plan the whole thing through, and then you've got disruptive events that occur. Especially when you're talking about food, you're talking about food shortages, et cetera. Let's talk about predictive analytics and and how that is utilized, or how important that is in the flow of food and these necessary items. Sure. Yeah, I think as I mentioned, technology will become probably the key priority in terms of how refrigerated commodities. Uh, are moved from a standpoint that there's going to be monitoring, number one, but number two, 
predictive analytics, to your point, will be used to make sure that we do prioritize the discharge and also the flow of uh, perishable commodities, especially since, you know, we've, we've experienced during the pandemic um, a run on food, primarily at the grocery stores because everyone was home. And I think there was some some hoarding going on, but more importantly, I think that uh, the supply chain uh, was breaking down. So knowing where commodities are, knowing how to go ahead and prevent failures, and knowing how to go ahead and do a better job at predicting uh, reliability as it as it uh, relates to cargo flow, I think will be uh, really important. The other place where technology will play a more key role and probably be more important as we go forward is to look at longer transits and how we go ahead and uh, slow down ripening or at least make sure that the outcomes of cargo delivery uh, is more predictable. So I think controlled atmosphere type technologies uh, tied into predictive analytics will be a, a real key area that people are going to invest in. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So I, I, there's a whiskey brand, right? There's a whiskey brand, the one that that uh, ferments, or, or what do you call that? Uh, ages their whiskey. They speed up the aging. Yeah. Is it fermenting yeah. with whiskey? I don't know. They age they the, age the casking in the, in the barrels. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, can that apply to agri-science for, for other things within reefers, yeah. making it actually kind of a, making the transportation part of the production? Is that being looked into when you mentioned this this ripening process? Can we go just a little bit deeper here? Sure. I, I am not sure if that is uh, in technology that's being looked at, but I'm sure there's probably some that are looking at that. That could be certainly uh, uh, an emerging technology that uh, maybe takes place down the road. But uh, you're right. I know there's a lot of growing environments, um, not to get into too much detail, uh, that you know basically are now being fabricated uh, in controlled atmosphere type environments, not only in containers, but you know also in other uh, in other vehicles. So it could be a technology that uh, is emerging. Yeah, I would think that the temperature control, et cetera, has got to be very, very important in, in delaying the ripening of some of those sure. cargo, especially when it's shipping, right? And it gets well, with goes bananas. I've heard it's just a, it's a couple degrees bananas and the like the amount of yeah. ripening you'll get on there. Yeah, uh, continue. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I know yeah. what you're talking about the whiskey. They aged them inside a truck, yeah, drove yeah. them across, and then they did it on the ocean as well. They had them in yeah. the, and just going through the seawater and that type of stuff. But let's talk about that yeah. though. As far as uh, final mile, et cetera, et cetera, talk about the difference between reefer cargo in your traditional type of first and last mile uh, commodities that are there. Yeah. What's the differences there? Because some people, you know, dry van versus flatbed, like the needs, huge you mean? differences. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think everyone right now is so focused on the first and last mile, especially given our current situation. Um, but when you look at reefer type commodities, refrigerated commodities and perishable commodities, you really can't. Um, you really can't ignore the fact that you need end-to-end -end visibility, transparency, and monitoring. And whether that's remote monitoring, where you can make changes on airflow, temperature, or humidity levels, or just to make sure that uh, the early warning diagnostics and the machinery is attended uh, to, uh, maybe during the voyage. So keep in mind that voyages are getting longer because we're extending out our sourcing for food products. And primarily because our, our, our demand for a more sophisticated and healthier diet is starting to be a little bit more pervasive. So, you know, when we look at refrigerated commodities, and we are one of the largest refrigerated leasing equipment um, uh, organizations in the space, you know, we really have to focus on end to end and not just first and last mile, just because of the 
priority to make sure that that particular commodity is, uh, is monitored during the entire voyage. Now, we think about the equipment here and these, you know, the delays and the needs that are put on them. Is that mm-hmm. wreaking any havoc on what's going on in terms of equipment availability or reefer units breaking down more often or are the refrigerant needs increasing? What's happening there? Well, I think that uh, because of the pandemic, I think people are starting to focus a little bit more on um, the supply chain, uh, schedule reliability, and also taking a look at, you know, how can they go ahead and make sure that the outcomes, like I said, and failure rates are much lower. So technology is going to continue to go ahead and be probably a priority in terms of uh, an investment strategy. But I think we're going to start to see um, machinery, technology and reefer products, you know, the refrigerated containers become much more sophisticated because of what we just went through uh, during the last two and a half years. So, you know, in answer to your question, I think that uh, 20 years ago, I think uh, it would be really, really difficult to go ahead and do some of the things we're doing right now, which is remote uh, monitoring with the ability to change settings remotely. And that's when uh, either your, your container is on the vessel or in transit. Um, so I think we're going to see, uh, like I said, a lot more advancement in those areas because of uh, some of the things we have witnessed and uh, some of the things we observed in the supply chain challenges uh, that we uh, are faced with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested how, how far out from uh, the demands of your specific customers, do you guys look at data for, for uh, the future demand or positioning CQB your containers and those, those type of things? Are you yeah. looking at global warming trends and weather trends at that, et cetera, or specific just seasonality right now? Well, you know, being a leasing company uh, we are working with all the major carriers, um, in terms of what the requirements are for 2022 right now. But it even goes beyond that. It, it's really looking at not only seasonality, but uh, the the outsourcing for commodities is getting a lot more sophisticated. I think if you go back to the mid-70s, I think that you know we imported probably less than 20% of perishable commodities. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, 2022, if you look at the import-export um, uh, figures and stats, you know, we're almost up to 50% of our uh, commodity base being imported. So it's a huge difference. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, if you look at sustainability tied to the food markets and tied to the sourcing, uh, tied to the perishable commodities, you know, you're looking at a lot more seafood farming going on. You're seeing a lot more outsourcing from further regions just because of the sustainability and also the regional pressure that uh, the growing markets have uh, been faced with. So I think what we're seeing is we're seeing extended transits. We're seeing a lot more outsourcing and a lot more dependency on um, on areas that uh, are what I would consider emerging, developing, growing regions, which I think uh, is putting more demand on refrigerated uh, type uh, assets. Greg, anything in the regulatory market we should just be mindful of, the audience should be mindful of this year, in, insofar as reefer is well, concerned? Well, what, one thing that's come up and it's surfaced is I think that, and many have read about this, is I think China early on had some con, uh, concerns about COVID uh, maybe being transferred through frozen commodities. And you know, rightfully so, I think they did a lot of work in, in trying to make sure that that wasn't the case. So there was some delays in terms of either exports or imports on the refrigerated commodities. 
being that the concern was, you know, there could be COVID contaminated type products because of uh, the temperature uh, being such that it could be a, a vehicle for transferring. I don't know if that was unfounded or not, but uh, I think that as we continue to look at where we're sourcing products, uh, what the regulatory issues might be tied to the FDA, I think, and, and there's some regulation around that, I think we're going to find out that technology will play a big, big role in trying to expedite the entry and delivery of refrigerated commodities. So I think, you know, we're, we're, still, um, we're still probably in, um, in a phase where there's more to come in that area, but I think that uh, that's just a few, few areas that maybe uh, we have to be watchful for. All right, well, we'll put those pins on our radar. Before we let you go, we got to ask you our Valentine's Day question. It's this one, Greg. Okay. What percentage of singles say they're going to celebrate Valentine's Day? So no date single, but celebrating anyway. What percent? 60%. Oh, wow, wow. Very optimistic. Unfortunately, it's only 27%, Greg, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for playing. We wish those 27% the best. Greg, thanks for your time today, thanks, sir. Greg. Hey, thank you, guys. Take care. Take it easy. Stay, stay cool. Stay frosty. Hey, I'm nice. Sure. Here's that on the reefer side. See what you did there. We're going to talk more reefer to Bob Goldenberg. He's VP of Global Business Development over at Crowley. And I like All the right. picture behind him. Bob, what are we looking at behind you right there? We are looking at uh, Portugal, I believe. Um, this is my home office in one of my more secure rooms because my internet is some, somewhat sketchy at times. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. I like that you had you said secure. I've worked from Goes home. Goes to a so safe room during either Valentine's a dog Day. or a child or something <laughs> could be bursting in it at any moment. Well, uh, introduce yourself and Crowley real quick for those who may not be familiar. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, my name is Bob Goldenberg. I'm uh, with Crowley. We're a 130 year company that focuses uh, on supply chain logistics in the Caribbean, uh, Central America and uh, Puerto Rico, of course. And we do a ton of domestic movements as well. We're very unique in a blended solution of logistics. And it's pretty <coughs> appropriate that it's uh, supply, a global supply chain logistics week, right, to be talking about this. So we're unique in that we have vessels like a steamship line, but also have a vast domestic trucking network. And so, you know, in my past experience as, as a client, um, it's very rare to have that connection of both sides of that equation. And, and so and then just to complete the thought, even in, in Central America and Puerto Rico, where we play, we also have a si significant infrastructure in those places as well with truck capabilities, warehousing and so forth. Well, a lot of Valentine's Day flowers come uh, from from what sounds like some lanes you operate on. Is this a busy time of year over at Crowley? Uh, it's been it's tremendously busy. Uh, what, you know, one of the things that I think has really got us going um, is the, you know, we play in this near shore area, right, of the Caribbean, Central America, Puerto Rico. And in light, in the last 18 months, you've seen this, this craziness on the Trans-Pacific side in terms of rates going up three, 500 uh, percent. And, and also with the congestion that has gone on and around the West Coast ports and in the East Coast ports, where even, you know, the speed of getting stuff to market. I think you guys can also speak for the fact that you've been into stores where some of the shelves aren't full. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
And we've really taken a, a look at it with our infrastructure, but also our contacts and and our play, uh, you know, in the government as well, that nearshoring is a real, real viable, um, you know, substitute or addition to your supply chains, because you're talking about, you know, round trip in three to five days. And then you're talking about connecting into, um, you know, a domestic distribution situation where we can get cargo moving with a lot more velocity. We control, you know, the ports we play in a little bit. We have a, a significant infrastructure at the ports and can can dictate on which which vessels to handle, you know, at what time and so forth. So that's been the real big kicker uh, in terms of, you know, supply chain solutions. So, Bob, I was a, a competitor of yours for a number of years. I was at uh, Tropical Shipping for for quite a while. We play in the uh, in the same waters, right? But let's, let's uh, you've got a note here on what you call the Blue Highway option, and and really how that has solved or can solve capacity issues. Can you speak to that a little bit? What is, what is this that you're talking about? So, um, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> so one of the unique, you know, when I talk about blended solution, right, we're talking about, you know, at least on the domestic side, we can be a, you know, we have our own container assets um, that need to be moved around the U.S. to, to position for, for loads that go south. We also have a brokerage option to take advantage of, of various um, truckers to move just domestic loads, you know, around. <clears throat> and and the blue sky, the blue, the blue highway, the blue ocean highway, right, is is in light of a lot of congestion. I think you've also been hearing or reading or or even featuring uh, significant congestion at the rail yards as well as the ports. Well, with this, you know, with our Jones Act ability to to move from you know a U.S. port to a U.S. port, we've also been able to move whether it's empty equipment or even full loads up from let's say Port Everglades or the rail yards down south to Jacksonville to feed into other connections via barge or vessel. Mm. And so that's added, you know, a, di- a difference that a lot of the competition can't do. And, and, you know, we still have, you know, our challenges like the, the country does in terms of yeah. moving equipment and congestion and so forth. But this is one, one other tool in our arsenal um, that we're able to, to utilize to help kind of bring some relief to it. Gotcha. Yeah, well, I, are you sense. starting to use more exotic equipment like those barges and flat bread, flat flat bread, flat decks, like a good flat, flat like a good flat you bread, make- flat decks, uh, break bulk, <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. You, you're making me pretty hungry with that flat bread talk. <laughs> but, you know. So uh, we do. We so you know we have in in play in Puerto Rico, for instance. You know we we use barges. Um, and just, I don't know, five years ago or, le- or you know, less than five years ago, we were a barge carrier in Puerto Rico and we built these, uh, you know, uh, Conroe vessels, which which we moved from barge to vessel. But we still play in the barge space because we have, you know, significant, you know, big equipment that goes down there uh, for industry. And so those barges come in handy and uh, flat racks and so forth. And with a lot of the investment, you know before COVID and then also on top of it, there's a lot of need to get, get some big equipment, vehicles, um, you know, all kinds of uh, stuff down to Puerto Rico and those barges come in handy uh, to do that. Yeah, they certainly do. I mean, people don't realize nobody's making a dump truck in Virgin Gorda, right? I mean, there's, there's, you, you, you're either bringing it in or you ain't going to have one. No. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> which is interesting. So let's 100%. keep. Yeah, let's let's talk about that some more. Let's keep talking about what your continued investment in, in into your uh, into your vessel fleets, uh, the LNG Conros, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our our you know our um, our our values right is uh, is integrity, sustainability, and drive, and and the sustainability, uh, which I'll get into the vessels right is is really you know I think in the past. Companies would talk about you know environmental stuff and just talk about it and 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 you know companies in certain you know would would do bids and would would check the yes box and how important it is and today I think it's transferring to now it's really does make it's a much bigger deal right and it's not about just talking about it it's what are you doing about it and it, and it's using clean fuel making sure that that the environment's a lot more sustainable and in in shipping as well as trucking, but shipping for sure is a huge, you know, a huge press on the, on the carbon footprint side. So with that being said, you know, we have a fleet of vessels that, that are, are, you know, the, those Conros in Puerto Rico are working on LNG. We're about to go into the yard uh, to start uh, building two more vessels to play in the Central America space. And we're looking at, you know, clean fuel and so forth. So uh, it, it's a big part of what we're doing um, for industry as well as, you know, the environment. Well, so you mentioned Jones Act carrier as well. And those of you, I mean, Jones Act kind of only gets talked about when really bad things happen, like hurricanes, yeah. for example. You heard a lot about the Jones Act for that, the support in Haiti and those kind of things. But for a lot of people, they think that the shipping industry is kind of dead in the United States, but you're talking about building this fleet up. You're talking about being a Jones Act carrier. So what kind of infrastructure is needed to support this fleet that you're, you're building in your current fleet as well? Well, remember the Jones Act's really about uh, Puerto Rico, right? Yeah. In, in terms of this space. Uh, and also that, that blue, that blue, uh, the blue water highway. Um, so, but our fleet, when we talk about Central America, it's, you, we require, we're about to add our fourth sailing there. Um, we've actually added the fourth sailing. It'll become regular. We had three sailings for historically for a long time. And now we're, we're adding this fourth sailing to, because showing the demand of to and from Central America, the need that our clients and the industry and, and those countries have, uh, have, you know, required to, to service it. In a, in a better way. So we're excited about that. And in doing that, you, you need to build, uh, build these ships. I mean, the, the costs of these ships in light of this, this global, you know, uh, explosion, let's say that's affected the supply chain has gone crazy. I mean, we've had ships that, that, you know, would cost anywhere from five to $8,000 a day that are now 35 and up 35,000 and up. So that gets to go into this whole plan of infrastructure, right? And then, when you do build ships, what does that mean? I need more containers. I need more chassis. Like I talked about, we have this blended solution. Well, it requires a lot of cost to, to ensure that we're delivering the right experience and transits and so forth to our clients. So it, it, it's, quite, it's quite an expenditure, obviously. Um, yeah, but yeah. the demand is there. Yeah, and the, the 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 trade lanes that 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 you're in there uh, require a completely different set of of vessels than, like, say, Trans Pacific, right? The, the Trans Pacific Maritime, completely different. Can you speak to the need of those different types of vessels? The shallow, the deep water, et cetera, the feeder vessels. 
Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, you're coming from tropical, you can totally relate, sure. right? Um, yeah. And, uh, and so you know, the, the trans pack, you know, the, those, you know, you've talked, look, we got into this, this global craziness with rates years ago when, when the big global guys were building these big ships, you know, they went from, you know, a 5,000 TU ship to now 22,000, maybe even more TUs, right? Well, in this arena that we play in, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, six, 800, or let's say, let me say seven to 1500 TU, uh, vessel sizes. And, and, you know, so, so that's good and bad. It's not the big ships that take a lot, but it's, they they require a lot, some more engineering and they're not as plentiful. So to go out and charter them to help, you know, supplant some of your fleet is a bit of a challenge. You got to find them or you got to build them. And and we want to, you know, we, we, been, like I said, we've been around for 130 years and uh, we, we plan to be here for another 130 years plus. So we want to invest in that and, and, and try to make these ships, you know, really tailored to what our clients are asking for. Hey, Bob, what do uh, turn times look like right now in your world? We hear about all the congestion at Port of L.A. and Port of Long Beach. But in the specialized world of what you do, what are what are things looking like from uh, from where you see it? Well, it's kind of what I was saying before. We have some of our, you know, we have our ter- a little control of our terminals. We're running a, you know, a smaller operation when it versus the Transpac and and some of the the, the global carriers, right? So, um, so our turn times are are, are really good because we we can kind of coordinate that. We also in Jacksonville have a on dock rail, so we're able to move cargo in and out without putting it on wheels and so forth. Um, so I know in the, tra- you know, first of all, it, you know, the Transpac, you have, you know, vessels sitting at sea for two, three weeks because that congestion is there. Um, and then on top of that, the, you know, how long does it take to get those boxes in and out? It's a, it's a really big challenge. And partly why I talk about this, this nearshoring option to be able to have faster access to your cargo and, and not a whole lot of lead time. Well, on our side, you know, we, we control the ports. We control, uh, I'm sorry, we control our terminals, I should say. We don't control the ports, but we have a little more access in, in where our labor is and, and getting those ships in and out. Our turn times are, are, uh, are, are not, are not a factor when it comes to the congestion that that's, uh, you know, that's the rail and the truck power and so forth of all the things that you guys are probably talking about. Yeah. So, Bob, let's let's in in your trade. Can you enlighten the listeners a little bit of what's different there in the trade lines that you're there again? Um, you can't be in business for 130 years in that industry, and you can't really do business in that industry unless you have somebody who's got the missions and the values like a Crowley that is in they're 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 inbred they're intertwined with the cultures of those different nations that are across there. Can you talk about the importance of that and the services that you guys provide? Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, coming from your background, you certainly know. I mean, you know, it's it's our our Crowley start, you know, 130 years and and it really starts with the people and it starts with the people on both sides. You know, it starts with the communities on both sides and, and you know, the investment of taking care of those people like you guys mentioned hurricanes and earthquakes. And we've seen it all in this region. And so we've been there. Uh, working with, you know, some of the government agencies, whether it's uh, FEMA, Red Cross, so forth with all that. But it, but it really starts with, you know, being tapped in to those communities in Puerto Rico, Central America, and really being connected with, with industry, government, and, uh, and, and, um, 
and and the people, I guess, and and it's it's critical. You know, it's it's a, these are these are niche markets, um, but they're very unique, as you as you mentioned, yeah. because they require cargo. They require that that cargo coming in from whether it's the you know U.S. or or elsewhere. Um, so it, it's you have to really understand what it's what it's about down there. We have a lot of you know whether it's our own people all over those regions or people from here that have built relationships mm-hmm. uh, all over. But it's a good yeah. point by you that it's it's very critical. It is that relationship and it's the knowledge, the awareness, Dooner, that if we sneeze, they catch the flu. So, well, yeah, literally, I mean, about, literally, right? it's literally You're the lifeblood. Been that. I mean, the, <laughs> there's a famous article that came out last year that said, yeah. like, we're one sneeze away from a, a port shutdown, right? Yeah. So, all right, before we let you go, Bob, this has been great. It's been very enlightening. We'll to ask you our stupid Valentine's Day question before we let you go. And it is What will Americans spend more on this Valentine's Day? Candy, flowers, or jewelry? I will say flowers. Flowers. All right. Very close. But you are wrong. You are wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It was actually, they'll, they'll spend $10.7 billion, right? $6.2 billion on jewelry, $2.3 billion on flowers, and $2.2 billion on wow. candy. He was, he was in the top three. He was in the top three. <laughs> exactly. I didn't make the top three. <laughs> hey, Bob. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, guys. Thank you. All the best. Right I, love it. I love it. I love it. I want to go out to, uh, where did you say that was Portugal? Or what was that picture behind him? Portugal, he thought. Yeah, he, he said he Portugal. believed it was. What do yeah. you spend more on Valentine's Day? Do you spend more on the jewelry? Do you spend it more on the flowers? Or do you spend it on the candy? Candy. I got hey, young girls. I got to figure out something on the way home. I got to pick, pick something up. From, from from the store on the way home. Uh, speaking of yesterday, so yesterday, right? This map caused a lot of controver- controversy. I was going to say it caused a lot of controversial. It caused a lot of controversy. What did? On LinkedIn over the weekend. Look at this map right here. So this That's baloney, is, man. Th- Come on. Th- th- it did cause a lot of controversy. Check this out. Pizza, pizza. So, no, this is okay. So the, the top data put this map out here, and this is showing. So you talk about supply chains, global supply chain. What about the pizza supply chain, right? Okay. So they said using customer GPS data, these are the number one pizza places in each state. And what, would you have it not? Rise of the Little Caesars of Roman pizza, pizza empire. Tell is me taking pizza over Hut? everywhere. Pizza Hut's got two states. That's it. <laughs> Supposedly pizza Hut's only got two states. They've been lagging behind. The Domino's fanboys. Now, they were talking about the pizza tracker and how it is the most innovative thing to ever happen to consumer supply chain. Would you agree with them? Sure. One of them's name was Gray Shark. <laughs> oh, where did right? you order pizza from yesterday? <laughs> I actually didn't have pizza yesterday, but recently I ordered it from, from NYPD and Hickson, man. That's where I ordered okay, from. So there's a rule. New there's York a rule PD. in improv, and it's always yes and. You never say no, I didn't have pizza. You said yes and, I got it from New York pizza. I got it from NYPD. All right, well, I have a little more facts for you before we let everyone go back Lay to it get out of this monkey business over here. Okay, okay according to <laughs> Quote Wizard, which state is number one for Potholes. Which state's number one? I'm, I would think it would be uh, Ohio or Massachusetts. No, it should be Massachusetts, but it's Washington. we got Indiana, Michigan, Nebraska, Ohio, Massachusetts, Illinois, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. Hey, there's more stuff coming up. Stick with us. Global Supply Chain Week is not done. Who's up next? Click the agenda on live.freightwaves.com. Uh, who do we got here? No, this is going to be awesome. Kaylee Nix and Jim Newsom, South Carolina Ports Authority. Smooth sailing with the South Carolina Ports Authority. We also got changing landscapes on those ocean contracts. Don't miss it. Subscribe to What the Truck.